0: or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: The other side of the rainbow. I'm Jason Horton.
0: I'm Rebecca Lieb.
1: And this is Ghost Town.
2: Last weekend, I was in Tucson, Arizona, visiting my parents, which, of course, great and lovely in and of itself. But admittedly, the little tween girl inside me was much more excited about something else. Visiting the iridescent pink gates of the now-abandoned Lisa Frank headquarters. If you're a millennial, or older Gen Z, or even Gen X, the name Lisa Frank likely elicits some emotion in you. The hypercolored pop art-inspired animals, shapes, and rainbows were essentially the backdrop of my childhood. But the brand Lisa Frank isn't just enviable trapper keepers and sparkly relief stickers. No, the world of Lisa Frank, as I discovered, was dark, oppressive, drug-fueled, chaotic, and even described as the Rainbow Gulag. All played out in Tucson, Arizona, under the watchful and litigious eye of its mysterious founder, so mysterious that there are only two pictures of her online— Her name is Lisa Frank, and today we're talking about the rise and fall of Lisa Frank Incorporated. Lisa Frank was born on April 21st, 1955, to affluent parents in suburban Michigan. In fact, Frank's father was an art collector, who very early on introduced her to pop artist Peter Max, an artist who very obviously influenced the young Frank and what she would go on to do. Frank told the Urban Outfitters blog that, quote, My dad was an art collector, my mom had a little kiln in our basement, and we would make pottery. I think from about age five on, they sent me to art classes, and I was a huge colorer. Huge. I think to keep me quiet, they would bring the coloring books and crayons, and I would fill up the books. I was totally a girly girl. I was not a jock. When I was 12, my parents got me a loom, so I was a weaver. I love to read, I love to do artwork, I love to do anything girly. She attended Cranbrook Kingswood School, a fancy prep school whose alumni also include Selma Blair and Mitt and Ann Romney. It was there that she began painting. Frank immediately found gratification in her art, and even more rare, financial success. At an art show her senior year, and keep in mind this is the 1970s, Frank earned $3,000 selling her paintings in her community. Creativity was only rivaled by her business savvy. Her college job was unlike your average college job. Frank would purchase bright, handmade pottery and jewelry from local Native American communities, mark them up, and sell them to people back in Michigan. Eventually, she started asking the artist to make specific things, like teddy bears or unicorns, and her profits grew and grew. From there, she began creating her own original designs, and the merger of her sales and artistic development manifested itself into a plastic jewelry line called Sticky Fingers. At the ripe old age of 20... Sticky Fingers was picked up by Neiman Marcus and Bloomingdale's, and Frank expanded her work into stickers and buttons. Things were going pretty well until 1979, when they went even better. Why? Lisa Frank renamed her company to Lisa Frank Incorporated. And that same year, the 25-year-old received her first million-dollar order from Spencer Gifts. Lisa Frank's line of products expanded beyond jewelry and pins and stickers into the staple items I think of when I think of Lisa Frank. Trapper keepers, pencil erasers, folders, backpacks. Lisa Frank Incorporated reached its peak in the late 90s, making over $60 million a year in sales. Shareholder distributions to Lisa Frank and her husband, James Green, totaled more than $100 million between 1995 and 2005. And in the mid-90s, Frank designed her own Tucson corporate headquarters for Lisa Frank Incorporated, a 320,000-square-foot building in Tucson featuring giant, Multicolored music notes, hearts and stars, rainbow loading docks, and walls, and oversized fiberglass character statues. Near the building's glassy pink entrance, a large silver unicorn sculpture bucks in the air, proclaiming this area to be sacred ground for little girls everywhere. Lisa Frank's products were looming large, but unlike celebrities at the time, Frank herself shied away from the fame. Frank had a powerful obsession with staying anonymous. Her revulsion with celebrity, for herself, became somewhat a part of the lore of the company. In fact, there are only a handful of images depicting Lisa Frank herself on the internet. Only two photos and some images from interviews. She is tall, incredibly gaunt-looking, with a shock of brown hair and large eyes. In the two photos, taken during the same time, in the same photo shoot, she is in a bright rainbow sweater. She kind of looks like a version of my Jewish mother. Friendly, but unnatural. Startled. She rarely gives interviews, and when she does, they offer a strange window into the CEO's psyche. Quote, In my own little way, I understood Michael Jackson, Frank said in a 2012 interview with The Daily, comparing her level of fame to the king of pop. If I use my credit card and they go, oh my gosh, there's Lisa Frank who makes the stickers, I go, Isn't that the craziest thing that I have the same name? Frank's former employees believe this elusivity came from an obsession with her own looks and body, often commenting on her super thin appearance. She was very beauty-focused, according to Karen, whose name has been changed and who worked in the Lisa Frank sales department in the early 2000s. She said Frank was, quote, obsessed with her body image. Kyle, again, name-changed, who worked in the creative department, described Frank as, quote, a very passionate lady, although a little manic and not always there. She kind of looks like one of her characters, he added, very over the top and very colorful with big hair and really big eyes. In 2012, she agreed to be filmed for a rare interview to promote a short-lived partnership with Urban Outfitters, we will get there, under one condition, that her face not be shown. And it's almost like she's in witness protection. I watched some of this footage. You should absolutely check it out if you want to see how she talks, how she speaks, kind of how she characterizes her own brand. It's incredibly interesting. But before we get there, let's rewind a little bit. As the company was gaining traction back in 1982, a man named James Green began working as the company's first in-house illustrator and designer. Shortly after beginning a romantic relationship with Frank, sometime in the late 1983 or early 1984, Green moved up the corporate ladder, becoming an officer in 1988, and was named president and CEO in December 1992. Green and Frank married on October 22nd, 1994, in what is described as, quote, an extravagant affair. A year later, Frank and Green had their first child together. At first, the two seemed like a good fit. They were both opulent. They loved art, expensive cars. They even bought their own 12-seat twin-engine airplane. They had a giant mansion together, with a color scheme that Frank has described as, quote, purple and yellow and hot pink and light green and orange. They had their second kid soon after. But as the two settled in, they often fought. And Lisa Frank Incorporated became a hostile workplace, to say the least. According to an illustrator who worked for the company for about four years, quote, Of course, from the outside, it's colorful. You've got the rainbow, the stars, the hearts on the building, the statue of the panda. It was a statue of a panda. You can find it online. But inside, it was like an abusive alcoholic home. Quote, Lisa Frank is notorious in Tucson as the world's shittiest employer, said Caroline, a Tucson resident and almost employee. Every single person I talked to advised me to avoid Lisa Frank at all costs, she said. I don't know if it's possible to really communicate how bad their reputation was in town. Every person who ever worked there seemed to have a case of PTSD from it. Rainbow Gulag is really an apt description. Everyone points to one reason the company started going downhill in the early 90s, and one reason alone. The Chronic Mismanagement of the Company by both Frank and her CEO, slash husband, James Green. While there was an emphasis at the company of productivity and creativity, according to former employees, the office had to be completely silent. Nobody could speak to each other. No visitors, including family members, were allowed on the property. The management also secretly recorded everyone's phone calls. An inter-office publication called Frankly Speaking was the Employee Etiquette Guidebook, instructing everyone how to behave and how to interact with CEO James Green. The penalty for any violations would range from rampant verbal abuse, a screaming session from Green himself, or automatic termination. According to the Jezebel article Inside the Rainbow Gulag, the Technicolor rise and fall of Lisa Frank, one time, after discovering that someone had left the office 10 minutes early, An enraged green instructed the warehouse manager to put chains and padlocks at all the downstairs doors so that, quote, the staff can't escape. There was just this air of fear there, said Marcia, a former graphic designer for the company. It just seemed very clear, the mentality of it. Keep it ice cold, keep people miserable and on edge. It was just insane. Totally insane. If working there was difficult, leaving was even worse. Allegedly, Lisa Frank would fail to give ex-employees promised severance packages and unemployment benefits. The situation got so bad that former employees sued for their final paychecks or sales commissions. The company also got some very bad publicity when a series of lawsuits revealed that $4 million hadn't been paid to local contractors and builders who had worked on the corporate headquarters. According to former sales and marketing manager Susan Russo, "...over 80 people walked out the door between February 2003 and December 2004." Most without notice because they have been treated so poorly. Frank, and this is rare, even admits that she was a shitty employer, albeit years after the fact. According to Jezebel, one former employee who had been fired for talking on the phone to her father ran into Frank at a salon. The ex employee said, Oh, Lisa, remember me? I worked for you. And Lisa Frank said, Oh, did we fire you? And the employee was like, Yeah. And Lisa Frank was like, Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't really a great employer. So there's some illuminating information from an ex-employee. But Lisa Frank can't take all the credit for being shitty. In the mid-90s, Frank relinquished day-to-day management duties to Green in order to focus on raising her children, Hunter and Forrest, named after two of the animal characters in her company's character repertoire. Shortly after each of her sons were born, Frank who had once been the sole shareholder in her company, made gifts of her stock to Green at what would amount to 49% of the shareholdings in LFI, Lisa Frank Incorporated, and for the next 10 years, Green ran everything. Quote, He really turned that place into a shithole, said another ex-employee, who added, The guy's kind of a dick. A dick, indeed. More on that after the break. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled
0: professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. We all enjoy a little mystery. Every other week, One Strange Thing presents forgotten stories from America's newspaper archives. They all have something in common, a single element that can't quite be explained. From cryptids and disappearances to modern-day miracles, One Strange Thing brings you stories that are very real and just a little otherworldly. Subscribe now, wherever you listen.
1: First, we'd like to tell you about a podcast, Let Me Tell You a Scary Story. It's a paranormal podcast hosted by Anna Rose, who reads out true-life creepy stories every Friday. They happen to ordinary people all over the world and cannot be explained. Ghostly hauntings, glitch in the matrix, unexplained time-lapses, alien sightings, possessions, near-misses, demons, doppelgangers, stalkers, true crime, and much, much more. Not only this, Anna is an award-winning voiceover artist and is sure to hook you with her excellent, smooth, storytelling voice— just like mine. So close the blinds, turn off the lights, snuggle under that quilt, and enjoy. So check out Let Me Tell You a Scary Story found on any and all podcast listening platforms. Hi.
2: Hello. How are you doing? <laughs> are you doing well? How's it
1: going? We're checking in. Hello, hello. We're doing the thing.
2: Let's do this thing.
1: We're all at the same place at the same time. Right? At least at least audioly.
2: Yeah. I mean, I can't see you, but I can feel you right Your that's presences? weird is that weird is it a haunting is that yeah, yeah. Yeah, is that the threat know. i don't know i like feeling something anything yeah, yeah. So, positive
1: we want to say hello to anyone who's listening supporting the show spreading the good word that good, mm-hmm. good 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 mm-hmm. sweet mm. sweet word so sweet we'll also be at the parapod festival yes, in santa will. clarita on april 1st not in april fools not in april fools. This you'll, is not
2: you'll wish drill. it was but this it's not no drill no we'll be there uh, probably all day. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, it's yeah. gonna be pretty cool.
1: A lot of really cool people. Yeah, um, tons of hauntings and psychic readings mm, and Crypto-zoology. UFOs. Yeah,
2: I we've never done anything quite like no, this
1: before. We've, we've never and we're doing a little panel mm-hmm. and we're gonna talk about stuff and we're gonna hang out and mm-hmm. I guess we're up for like a podcast award with some other cool podcasts.
2: Yeah, we're up for a bunch of awards, which again is is new and very exciting to us. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes and maybe we'll see you there.
1: Yeah. So it's powerpodfestival.com, I believe. Check it out. One of my favorite things besides festivals and conventions, governments. (laughs) That's true. Making rules, making laws. I love it. Mm -hmm. Give me that Mm -hmm. stuff. And live at the Warp Tour, (laughs) the year 2001. Nice. Good year. Ashley Matson.
2: Hello, Y2K.
1: Just chilling out at Lilith Fair.
2: Oh, I which I went to 3 times. Well, if you were there,
1: <laughs> you'd have seen the headliner, Charlie Gilbert. Hello. And every year headlining the gathering of the Juggalos, Ooh. the one, the only <laughs> the grape soda drink, have they yeah, drink Fago. Fago? Fago. Yeah, drinking Fago, drinking headliner Cat Joselle. Hello. And the founder, and the organizer, and the headliner of Woodstock 2050.
2: (laughs) Whoa. I thought you were going to say Woodstock, Woodstock 99, Woodstock 2016. We're going deep into the future. People
1: that will be performing that haven't even (laughs) been born yet.
2: How exciting.
1: That's how transformative and visionary That's, this we'll person will be dead is, but you oh, will be alive <laughs> yeah but please maybe there's a ghost town tent people can listen to us yeah. talking about this our prediction
2: um or i was thinking maybe even our our avatars will be there oh yeah perhaps yeah something like snoop all right anyway
1: the one the only
2: avian, avian noble. noble
1: our governor
2: mm-hmm. governess oh i don't know do people say that
1: who knows? We just said You're both. both. You're both, baby. But if you want no ads, and no chit-chat, bonus episodes, you just want the good stuff, you mm-hmm. want it mainlined mm-hmm. into you right now, mm-hmm. head on over to patreon.com slash ghost town pod, mm. where there's tons of benefits, but maybe we should go to a place that really doesn't seem to have any, have any benefits. <laughs>
2: no, no. Aside from copious amounts of drugs, which we will get to. We are back in Tucson. It is 2005. So... The company, Lisa Frank Incorporated, has reached its prime. It is eroding. And at that point, 16 people filed a lawsuit against Green, accusing him of various abuses. He had been running the company. Lisa Frank is back at home with her two children. Allegedly, Green was prone to fits of rage and loud profanity-laden outbursts in public, throwing chairs and objects in the office and enacting near-constant harassment. The man reeked of cologne and would not learn anybody's name, instead giving them nicknames of his own, including regularly calling one woman he felt was overly masculine the nickname That Guy, in front of her fellow co-workers, no less. It was a bad scene. But according to his former employee, the thing he was most sensitive about was his own height. Quote, "People who worked directly with James couldn't wear heels. He said it was because they couldn't walk fast enough to keep up with him. In reality, he had short man syndrome and didn't like working with women taller than him. But the person to really fear in the company was not James Green. According to employees, it was Lisa Frank Incorporated's vice president, a woman named Rhonda Rolette. Where Green would rage, Rhonda would back up with corporate action." Dan Mullen, who had worked in the art department at LFI for 14 years, stated in court documents, quote, James used her to maintain control of the employees. Through Rhonda, employees' jobs are threatened and an atmosphere of hostility is maintained. Employees are consistently called to her office and subjected to threats and harassment. But Roulette was not above Green's abuse herself. She was often heard being called fat or stupid by him. But you might ask... All of this. Where did it come from? Where did all this anger come from between Frank, Green, and the higher-ups? Well, the answer is also pretty short. Cocaine. And lots of it. In the company's archive room, where all the original artwork ever created is stored and maintained, or was stored and maintained, there was rumored to be an infamous letter on the back of one of the pieces of art, from a friend of Lisa Frank's, about how much fun she had, quote, freebasing with Lisa and whoring around New York. But with Frank at home with her kids... Drug use between green and roulette was stronger than ever, and completely unchecked. Said one ex-employee, There would be days when James would come down to the art department super sweaty and super paranoid, and just, like, walking really fast back and forth through the design area. And there was nothing to be stressed out. It was just a regular day. Said another, We saw Rhonda come to work from time to time just totally fucked up. They were called one morning where, quote, She couldn't even stand up straight. Another former employee said that, quote, James regularly sent her with an unmarked box or paper bag to meet someone at a gas station or parking lot. She was supposed to exchange her package for theirs and not look inside. He also had her buy his Viagra and his porn. And along with their shared drug use, drumroll, Roulette and Green had also been having a very open, very public affair. Kobe Miller, a product development artist at LFI, said he stumbled into Roulette and Green at the mall over 4th of July weekend, wondering why they were together and not with their families. In September 2005, Lisa Frank had had enough with the Roulette and Green show and filed for divorce. Frank had confided in a friend that she was, quote, frightened of Green, had been a victim of his verbal abuse for years. In fact, years before the divorce itself, she would test the waters by regularly asking staff at Lisa Frank, quote, if James and I divorced, would you stay with the company? Which is very dark and very bizarre, to say the least. In June of 2005, Green moved out of the family home and Frank started taking a more active role at the company. But the tricky thing was, Green and Roulette were still there and the company was still making major, major profits. Quote, James and Rhonda put pressure on people to pick a side. Either you pick Lisa or you pick James, said a former employee. James was telling people if the company splits up, he's going to start his own company. He was trying to recruit people to go with him so that way, if Lisa did get the company, she wouldn't have anybody to help her. But Frank had her own plan while all of the litigation was getting started. A company-wide digital spy. She hired an outside IT consultant to provide her with direct access to all company emails, which she used to monitor their communications and delete and redirect emails. Not that being bugged was new for any employee at Lisa Frank Incorporated, they had all been watched and monitored in some way, shape, or form for years. Soon, Frank's filing of a civil suit and temporary restraining order went into effect against Green, likely brought on by his theft of six company computers, and Roulette and Green were escorted out of the building in September of 2005. Lisa Frank was once again her own CEO, and would spend the rest of the aughts knee-deep in litigation with her ex-husband and his girlfriend, both her former employees. These lawsuits, which were many, culminated in October 2009, when Green attempted to have LFI evicted from its own headquarters. As part of this suit, Green sent his sons, now 13 and 9, a written demand to give him consent to take action against their mother's company. Green and Frank's sons did not provide that consent, and he was also unsuccessful with the eviction. But the conflict raged on until January 2013, battling it out on children's custody and asset distribution. While all of this was happening, the company, which had once been at an all-time high, was being driven into the ground. Until 2013, when a bit of nostalgia reignited interest in Lisa Frank Incorporated, driven by a partnership with Urban Outfitters. But despite this, Urban Outfitters ended its deal with Lisa Frank for unknown reasons. A lot of the interviews around this period are what I used for this piece, and Lisa Frank seems ominous, withholding of information. I can imagine it was maybe somewhat of an awkward business deal. Around the time that the lawsuits were tapering off, James Green, previously Jewish, converted to Christianity, and now, even now, sells religious-based stationery and t-shirt designs on his website, jameschristianman.com, where he and his sons model all kinds of fun Christian art, thoughts, and sayings, including the mantra, quote, my suffering has led to my salvation. He is still with Rhonda Rolette, who is also vice president of his company. As of now, Lisa Frank Incorporated has a staff of four, and the once bustling headquarters is listed for lease or sale at a reduced price of $13.25 million. In fact, the four employees, including Frank herself, are mostly administrative and not creative. The company no longer produces its own products, and as of at least 2018, licenses its name to smaller companies, mostly childhood fans like myself, who loved Frank and her artwork, and who are committed to carrying on her Technicolored legacy.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs